How does a podcast broadcast reveal history about films and shows? Yeah, what you missed you'll see. Three lads dropping pods from the forgotten spot by the Irish Sea showing what you know. Now let's get into history. Yeah, that's how we're going to get the kids on board with this podcast. This rapping stuff. They're <laughs> mad for it, lads. Welcome to Real History Shows What You Know About History. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and television shows and musicals, anything that claims to be based on a true story, like a musical, for example, and we check how bad did they mess it up, what was life actually like during that time period. That's why we're here, to separate the real history from the re- real history. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm opening this with a lot of energy. Get on my level. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I don't know anything about history. Hey, and I'm Michael Tynan, and... Um... Get hyped, Michael! Woo! Uh, Jacob's creative prowess never ceases to amaze me. Um, I just don't know what he's going to come out with next. Rap this week, yodeling next week, God knows. I'm Mark Bell. I hate musicals, except for this musical, because I love American history. Very good. Mm. Yes, we're. it's a slight departure. We're talking about Hamilton, because it's, I think, the most popular historical fiction of the past few decades, can you think of anything to rival it? Not really. I mean, I, I've I've seen this referred to as like the most successful Broadway show ever. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, the fact that it's about the Secretary Treasury of the United States is pretty impressive, really. Yeah, and if against the odds, uh, you, dear listener, don't know about this musical, um, I've written a one sentence summary, and it goes like this. An immigrant rises through the ranks in a revolutionary war and, after victory, forever shapes the country he helped to create. I think that pretty much separates it from all of the actual, you know, context and just tells that's what that's what the story is. Yeah, right? yeah, I think that's fair. I think yeah. that's fair. And it's a musical created by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who became a huge phenomenon basically through this. I mean, he'd already made the musical In the Heights, which was quite popular, but this is like, this is actual like phenomenon level stuff. Like there's fan fiction about all the founding fathers just because of this. Now, if you, some people would say that uh, our friends uh, Alexander Hamilton and them had a legacy, but Lin Manuel Miranda had a legacy because he made people write fan fiction about the founding fathers. That's the way that's I want to be. Sum- that's how you cement a legacy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've all listened to it. I believe it was your first time listening to it, Michael. Yeah, no, this one is funny because, um, like you said, it's the biggest probably historical um, Broadway show in what, the last 50, 60 years, I couldn't tell you. And uh, to be perfectly honest, it went completely over my head. Like, I know I'm uh, sleepy and a little bit away with the fairies at the best of time, but um, I was very grateful. When you when you guys first mentioned to doing it, I was like, oh, a musical, really? But I actually love it, and I've listened to it probably over the weekend about, I'd say, four or five times in its entirety, and there is 46 songs. Yeah. So, you know, that's a... It's a commitment. It is a commitment, yeah. I appreciate you being diplomatic about saying like, oh, you guys are like, oh, let's listen to it. Because really we were like, we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing Hamilton. We're doing it. <laughs> well, the old veto has to come out every so often, you know. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah. Um, what really interests me about this subject, Mark, was the fact that you're so passionate about American history. And I just thought before we get into the details and everything, what is it about particularly, I suppose, American history and more this particular time period that you are actually which has always fascinated fascinated you as far as I'm aware I think I think it's it's actually from uh reading Irish history believe it or not like so a period of Irish history I was always really interested in was the United Irishman the 1798 rebellion Wolf Town Edward Fitzgerald mm. all that kind of yeah. stuff and when you realize that's 
that's coming that's like kind of following revolutions elsewhere obviously the french revolution mm. but it's also following uh the american revolution and when i did a little bit of reading on it, it, it it's it's one of these things where um it's not something that would would have been predicted and the type of revolution and the type of government that they that they attempted to establish it's really the first and most idealistic revolution of its kind in mm. world history i would actually say that the declaration of independence is probably the best piece of writing in any country and in any era would yeah, you I read a pretty good fanfic recently about aaron burr and hamilton <laughs> i don't know i don't know mark <laughs> and would you think mark that um is it the universal values that they you know put on paper and promoted is that what means that no matter where you go in the world it's respect for human rights and well natural rights and all that is I that mean, what yeah for sure i mean sticking on the on the declaration like that that is a that is a uh, a piece of writing that espouses the enlightenment essentially like which is you know something something that uh, i would kind of hold to or or, or whatever um, in the absence of religious belief for example but mm-hmm. it but it's um it's an aspirational attempt by a group of conflicted men who were as we can see from the musical didn't always all get along very well and the fact that i i would argue that the united states has so far totally failed to actually live up to the ideals of the of the founders and i mean failed Im- immediately um with the case of the kind of the american original sin of slavery being something that you know is is, is uh stands in the in the u.s until the 1860s and i would argue hasn't really been resolved so now, it was even. conveniently overlooked when they were dishing out rights basically for everyone yeah, else yeah, yeah. i mean i mean yeah. I, I wouldn't even say conveniently overlooked i would say it, it was a hot topic it was it was it was something that had to be avoided there were clauses in the original um declaration of independence that franklin and, and uh benjamin franklin and john adams convinced jefferson to take out of the of the declaration because they said this will lose us the south mm-hmm. he refers to slavery himself as an abomination mm. who does Je- Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, sorry, got a bit lost there. So um, essentially, despite being a slave owner himself. So it's yeah. more the the values that they basically the universal values. That's what attracted to you. The fact that for sure, yeah, it was the same values that crossed the Atlantic and went inspired revolutions or attempts at revolution well, the, in Ireland the concept and France. Of, uh, the concept of republicanism. Yeah. When you when you when you're raised in the Irish context, you you mm. tend to republicanism and nationalism tend to go hand in hand yeah. and when you really read into the origins of republicanism the conclusion that i come to is is that they're actually the antithesis of each other you, you yeah. can't be a nationalist and a republican no you not, can't. not in the yeah. truest sense yeah. and so it, it kind of it gave me a new way of looking at irish history as well as looking at so you what well, you would say is a more classical republicanism which yes, would be yes, yes. Very much yeah so. no i'd agree with you on that one mark yeah well, that's, okay. those are good reasons to be interested in American history, and I think it's also something that millions of people have discovered through just this musical. Like, we always talk about how popular culture is like a gateway into learning more about something, yeah. and like the just the, the sheer amount that Hamilton the musical has done for people knowing about the Founding Fathers, where famously they were going to take him off the $10 bill. Yeah, and yeah. then this musical comes and out. Like, oh, and we can't like, do it now. No, no, no. <laughs> Everyone loves Hamilton now, yeah. where literally I, I don't think you can blame people if you ask them on the street. I mean, there's videos on YouTube or whatever where 
you know, just ask what people think, and everyone thinks, yeah, Hamilton, he was one of them early presidents, right? And it's like, no, he was actually Treasury Secretary, but we made a musical about him <laughs> yeah, anyway, mm. even though he didn't become president. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think inter- interestingly as well, well, for, for me anyway, I mean, I spent, I've spent a lot of time in the US, and some of it in New York, and Hamilton is kind of regarded as New York's founding father. So, mm. like, some of the states have claimed certain, certain people. There's a bit of a uh, disparity in, in that a lot of them came from Virginia, from Virginia, but I mean, Americans I know, literally only one person I've ever spoken to knew who Hamilton was before this play, and, it, and this was a guy in his 70s, you know, who was a New Yorker. Yeah, uh, but he would be, am I right in thinking that out of the main, most quoted founding fathers of the United States, he he would always be included, would he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he, there's, I would say there's probably uh, some debate over over who would be regarded as the founding fathers. I mean, there's some of them where you, you can't really argue. Washington is always obviously going to be in there. I would say Jefferson is always in there and probably Ben Franklin. Um, Hamilton's kind of arguably kind of in the next wave after that. Mm. I would include Madison um, and probably John Jay, but you'd often not see those people included. And what about who someone we're going to be learning a lot about, Aaron Burr? Would would you always include him in there as well? I wouldn't refer to him as a founding father. As the play makes clear, he wasn't in the room where it happened. So <laughs> um, he, he's not a guy who was making those kinds of decisions. But he's another character who I think is scandalously underrepresented in, in modern culture and fiction. Um, I have read a historical novel by Gore Vidal, which is just called Burr, uh, Burr, which I would encourage everyone. To, now it is Gore Vidal, so it's it's heavy going. Like, mm. but um, this this is an absolutely fascinating character. He's like the original villain of the mm. American Revolution. This guy, he's absolutely fascinating. So, would it be true to say that what we're dealing with here, and we'll go into the background of it a little bit now, and what led to the American War of Independence? But uh, would it be true to say that we're dealing with a generate and a golden generation of? extremely gifted people yeah for sure I, I, I would always I would always uh, regard it in that way I would even go so far as to say maybe the revolutions that followed in other countries were unsuccessful because they didn't have as many of these guys mm. like in the Irish context we would always reference wolf tone yeah but it was only one wolf tone you know mm. it is that's like you have Washington but you don't have a Jefferson you don't have a Hamilton yeah. you don't have a John Adams mm. you, you've you've maybe got you might say Edward Fitzgerald is a Lafayette type character you know uh, reneging on his on his title of nobility and saying no no no, i'm the citizen lord i'm not really a lord anymore all this kind of stuff but uh, i mean in the american context you've got washington who's kind of the guiding light he's a he's a stoic classically educated man who's trying to be like one of the old citizen soldiers of rome that's kind of the the guy's (laughs) the guy's concept he's a member of a group that i mentioned in another podcast called the order of cincinnatus where Mm. public duty was everything to these people you can actually see uh, one one thing i noticed with just even studying these characters lightly is the influence of Greek and Roman thought on yeah. everything to do. Yeah. Now, we mentioned obviously through the Enlightenment mm. that these ideas were coming back, but uh, but they, even, they would have understood classical Roman references that nobody would understand now yeah. unless yeah. you were dealing in a lecture hall in Trinity College or something. If, you're, if you were but, to read the early speeches of, of John Adams, for example, and I, and I mean you specifically, like, mm. you'll, know, you'll notice Cicero in there for sure. You'll know that his style, his his rhetorical style, is heavily, heavily influenced by by Cicero, mm. or even Demosthenes. Like it's it's definitely influenced by the by the classical um, figures. But these are all people who are classically educated. I mean, this is this is an era where going to college basically meant 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 <laughs> meant that you studied the classics, and then you might have gone on and be, become a lawyer, for example, which a lot of them were. 
mm. which you'll find even now most American politicians, that's their background, they're lawyers. And what I find is, uh, and I can only imagine must be true for them, but even if you, if you have any inter- passing interest in Roman history, even though you might in read it in years and years, it'll always stick in your head uh, and the references to it will always stick in your head. So I can imagine if they f- their main job in college was full-time study of this stuff, they were literally walking around thinking they were running the Roman Republic, but they were in Virginia. Yeah, and one and interesting yeah. thing uh, that I had a quote on, but I lost it, it's uh, how it seems very clear when you look back at these guys that they're very aware of... of making history like they're mm. they're very much acting apart so those sort of posturing that's inherent in i mean we haven't really talked about the fact that it's a, a rap they didn't actually rap back then so that's that's the thing that didn't happen <laughs> that, we know, that we know of uh, uh, this is the room that it didn't happen in that maybe it may be a limerick mm, you know at, maybe at fond its, of a limerick <laughs> but uh it, it, sort of uh with rap you get uh usually a sort of posturing and sort of peacocking and like making yourself mm. big for sure and like thinking about legacy and like after you're dead and all this stuff because you're gonna get got uh there's like this sense as well again i haven't read that much of the original writings but just from what i've read that uh in the way they acted they were also very much like when they're writing letters to each other they're considering the fact that this will be kept and preserved when they talk about america and like Mm. Yeah, so so that's an interesting aspect of the whole thing. But if you're a layperson like me, like uh, you, you definitely have an idea of where uh, this whole America thing is, probably. And there was a big, <laughs> big scuffle about it. It was all about tea. Can we get a bit more specific on what was going on at the time? Uh, where we actually are in history? I believe they wrapped the years over and over. Seventeen seventy six is that where the story yeah, starts? Yeah. So so we're we're um, we're kind of. I mean, I, I suppose it, it, it's fair to say we we're starting with Hamilton's birth, really. They kind, sure. of, they kind of talk about him being really, really young. So he, he's born in 1755. Um, a crucial point that is repeatedly mentioned in the musical and maybe played up a little bit given, given Lin-Manuel Miranda's personal experience and the kind of political hot topics in the United States today is that Hamilton's an immigrant, mm. which, is, which, is a, which is a very uh, kind of important point in the musical. So Hamilton's born in uh, the island of Nevis, which is in the Caribbean, and he's an immigrant to New York. Um, he's probably the founding father who's come up from the most humble of backgrounds. The musical references his mother being a... Uh, yeah, did they say she's a prostitute or she's a, she's yeah, a she's son of a whore and a son of Scotsman? A whore and a Scotsman. Yeah. I don't know which is worse. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> his father's family are actually, believe it or not, are actually landed gentry in Scotland. The Hamilton mm. clan are, are fairly well established in Scotland. Mm. Um, but his father is uh, not a man who's uh, who's had financial success in the Caribbean. The island he's born on is a slave market, mm. um, which is where Hamilton claims his hatred of the concept of slavery has come yeah. from because he, he, he will have seen enslaved people you know, beaten and sold and, and just dehumanized the way the way these things happened. Um but seventeen fifty five is, is where we are. The colonies at this point, um look they've been they've been fairly long established. The the what we regard now as the as the continental United States is non existent. So there's broadly thirteen British colonies. Yes. Um there's also French colonies in the south, and there's there's Spanish colonies as well. Um, but they're set up under 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 a mercantilism set of government. So like the, the colonies are run for the financial benefit of the of the home nation. So it's a, a European powers playground, really. Very much so. It's yeah. a trade. They're trading posts, and they're, and they're treated that way. They're yeah. they're they're. 
you know, largely mistreated, realistically, uh, but they're very, very successful. So in, in the years between the founding of many of the colonies, so the early 1600s, up to the point of, say, 1755 when Hamilton is born, there's a population growth of two and a half million. So mm. these, these mm. places are fantastically successful colonies. Um, and what are we looking at, just because it always interests me, population, am I right in thinking we would have been looking at about four million people at that time? Roughly at that period in those thirteen states, and four million states, Europeans. It's maybe it's about, it's about well, Europeans somewhere between two and a half and three. What the what the slave uh, the enslaved uh, population is very difficult to say, but it's significant. Very, what, very what significant. I read was an estimate, and obviously you know it's a long time ago, but I read an estimate was about seven hundred thousand slaves. So what would have been uh, pe- people of African origin? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 people doing all the work. Yeah, exactly. So we had basically a, a very unequal society. Uh, like fantastically unequal. I mean, yeah. Unequal in, in, in the European context in that um, the democratic um, access that was had was by landed or property-owning white gentlemen um, only. Mm. I mean, there was no women having a say on anything in, in this situation. Like, mm. um, And... Look, I mean, that's that's evident from the fact that we call them the founding fathers. Like, and you know? what was their contact with? Like, were they largely left to their own devices outside of paying over their taxes to the British crown or the Spanish crown or the French crown? Or were they, um, were they I suppose, micromanaged? Or was that even possible given the, the geographic distance across the sea? Micromanaged, I'd say no, but I mean, ultimately, the dispute um, is born out of what you've just mentioned. Mm. Um, they have their own constituent assemblies, so they have these like houses of burgess where there's, um, you know, wealthy white men are, are kind of elected. Mm. To be honest, probably so they have something to do um, yeah. <laughs> while, while they're while they're enslaved folks going through all the farming or the planting, as 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 is referenced in the in the in the musical later. Mm. But you've got sort of a split um, early on. So the 13 colonies that are referenced, which are the, the white and red stripes on the American flag now, the modern American flag now, they're actually modern day, there's 16 states made up of those 13 colonies. But you could even see a split then. There, there, there started to become cultural splits because populations in each of the states tended to come from certain areas. Mm. Um, so in New England, you had Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Connecticut and Rhode Island. And then you had the middle states, uh, the middle colonies, rather, Delaware, New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And then the southern colonies, which were Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Of those states, Virginia was undoubtedly the power. Mm. And that's because it's got the best land to grow tobacco. Yeah. And it has enormous tracts of land. It's extraordinarily mm. powerful. Most of the founding fathers come from that state because that's where the money is. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and so... Let's see, we have him... Well, I wanted to mention as well, his mother, not a prostitute, um, but appropriately called such in the show. Repeatedly, yeah. Some because it's it's more like the the way the word would have been used at the time, but I, there could well, certainly be some Yeah, confusion. like, that's one thing. It is an inaccuracy. Now, we're not going to... Largely, we're just going to say that this is an extremely... Um, well, although you might argue that it might try, as usual, to import modern values into a, into a setting from 100 years ago, and it does in a lot of ways, but it is largely accurate as far as we can tell from his writings and that. There is a few little things, um, such as, it is a little bit jarring, I suppose, that they do call his mother a, 
whore that he's a son of a whore repeatedly yeah. there's and there's yeah. no actual evidence of that now they were down on their luck it was common for prostitution was very common um but there isn't i couldn't find anyway any evidence that she was actually a, a prostitute well i i wondered was it is it an intentional line that's put in because isn't it aaron burr who says it it's always yeah, burr, yeah. right? No, i i definitely mm. meant that like it's um as far as what i've read anyway it's she wasn't a prostitute but it would like she was someone who had uh like who who wasn't as oppressed sexually as everyone else necessarily ah, like yeah, or yeah. she had more than like she remarried after her husband <gasps> died or a scandal like uh-huh. i don't know yeah. the details a dare, a woman have it, agency but, but like <laughs> technically you might call it an inaccuracy but there's like there i think there's a lot of sort of structural inaccuracies in when meetings take place there's a lot of condensation where because you don't want even more characters in a play that's already got like people packed, playing yeah, multiple parts and it's course. packed yeah, and yeah. trying to keep track of everyone so mm-hmm. people are combined as are situations um like when hamilton meets the crew at the start like he didn't meet them all obviously yeah they the all walked time. into the pub together <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sang um, some really like they're just the same musically this is a fantastic thing to listen to um but it's uh these are stylistic exaggerations that totally make sense within the context i think of the show um so where are we then we like because i like i said everyone knows you know the u.s or the U.S. to be unhappy about taxation, right? That's that's the big thing. Yeah. Right. So so what what happens basically is um, European powers are, are battling for supremacy in North America because of the success of the various colonies. Um, this um, leads to a war which is known in the states as the French and Indian War, which is seventeen fifty six to seventeen sixty three. It's part it's part of a larger war between Britain and France, which we would in Europe would would refer to as the Seven Years' War. Mm. Now, the reason why it's got a different name in the States is because this is a conflict which is carried out by the state militia of the British colonies versus the state militia of the French colonies and the various uh, native groupings siding with one side or the other, as was to their advantage. Um, Essentially, what's happened here is the French are eventually defeated, the French uh, colonial forces defeated by the British colonial forces, but the cost... And I mean, the economic cost of this is really, really significant. And Britain at this point, because it, it has made some uh, it has made some mistakes in its global expansion around this time, Britain is essentially bankrupt. And so what it's going to do now is it's going to levy further taxes on the colonies. And they bring, they bring in a law called the Stamp Act. Mm. And the Stamp Act is, is what it sounds like. They're, they're going to tax stamps, which doesn't sound like much to us, but because of the the wording of the of the law, it actually taxes printing of any kind, yeah. and this this drives a lot of small businesses in the colonies into bankruptcy, and it's so severe that they're actually riots. And also, the only way of long distance communication at the time would have been letters. You know, there, there very much so, yeah, very much so, and even a telegram at that time. You know, so so th- this this act is denounced by um, public intellectuals, people like Patrick Henry, he's the famous give me liberty or give me death guy. Mm-hmm. Somebody else who actually um, is furious about it was one of the colonial militia leaders, which is a, a Colonel George Washington. He's he's displeased at the, at the idea of this taxation. Uh, Mark, a man who had success in the um, French and Indian War? Ooh, very successful. Here's the thing about, about Washington. So he's the father of the of the, of the US, as, as we all know. He's the guy who was on the one dollar mm. bill. Um, how successful was he really personally as a general? Oh, it's very debatable. Like he lost more battles than he won. Mm. 
Mm. You know, when he was when he was commanding colonial colonial militias, sometimes his troops just got massacred. Like he, he I think he even references it in one of the songs, right? He says, "I, I led my troops straight into a massacre." Mm. I also point. read like, that he didn't have a whole like, although he tried to kind of I suppose fashion a professional army out of the continental army yeah, like he, he did refer to his own army as a rabble you know that he yeah. he didn't consider them himself like a professional full time force maybe until later in the war well uh, well and, and I mean and, and they weren't like one of, one of the one of the stunning things about the American Revolution is that the 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 militia which are um, later adopted as the official army, they, they are a, a citizen volunteer force. This is they're, they're a colonial militia. Not to get too bogged down in, in the minutia of American history, American law, but this is what the the amendments that they're fighting about now, the Second Amendment. That's what this is actually about. So you know this right to bear arms. Yeah. Where, where there's like the people on the far left are very very against gun. Uh, you know anyone having access to guns, or whatever. People on the far right are, you know, we'll 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 kill anyone who tries to take our guns. You know this kind of thing. This all comes out of the the, the Second Amendment, and the reason why that amendment is written is because of a fear of a federal tyranny tyranny over the states, this because there is no government. army. Yeah. There's no yeah. United States Army, and the amendment is there so that a state can feasibly call a militia to defend itself against the federal tyranny. Imagine it's not about it's not about in, you walking in around with an AR-15. Yeah, you couldn't see them doing that. Yeah, but that's that, you know yeah. the the army is established yeah. later by further laws but it's yeah. you know the the amendment is not about the individual owning a gun it's about the state and so when we're yeah. so when we're looking at the 13 colonies they're literally a tinder a tinderbox they could yeah i mean there's there's riots in the streets the big thing here is and it's the phrase you hear repeated whenever you look at american and the american revolution is no taxation without representation mm. they yeah. they haven't got people in the parliament in westminster but they're being levied and they're being taxed to bits and they have absolutely no comeback on the crown here mm. so it's, it's leading to riots in the streets do you think it would have been resolved that way you know given some representation i mean they felt uh, probably not like re- realistically probably not but had they had some representation they might at least have felt they were heard remember the distance yeah there's a quote actually that i'm not sure if it's thomas Paine. you might be able to correct me on it lads but it's basically it's ridiculous for a continent to belong to an island and I think that kind of it has a nice ring to it because if you think about like the size of Britain, realistically, how was it going to hold on to something that, although it was only the East Coast at the time, how did they would they ever have hoped for even for another hundred years to hold on to the whole of say the whole if they had conquered the whole continental US? Like it's just doesn't make a lot of sense there's no other there's no other example of that in history i can think of anyway you know well the british might argue that they subsequently took india (laughs) i mean this is not not a small piece of land either you know no but but didn't uh couldn't last either no that didn't last either and they did it in a very different very very different way not in in terms of direct ownership Mm -hmm. maybe in true companies and so on Mm -hmm. but um yeah look the states are being the colonies i keep calling them states or colonies at this point Mm -hmm. they're being run under a mercantilism so Basically, all the benefits to the mother country. They're yeah, furious. and I guess I mean the the musical is uh, I'd say quite uh, I'd say expertly split into two parts, where the first part is about the war, and the second part is about everything after the war. Yeah. and in the second part, it gets really into how this psychology of the colonies towards Britain is later sort of transposed in the South towards New York and the federal government. So that's when we see the emergence of these two forces that we still see in in American politics between federalists and 
uh, what were we calling them? Democratic Republicans was yes. what they were called at the time, yeah. yeah. What I noticed is a common theme, even to this day, I think is distrust of authority. Yeah. Oh, very you know? much so, yeah. Uh, and any and individual and, liberty is a massive yeah. thing for yeah. in, in American culture. This this, this is why this is why the people on the left here were like, let's get rid of the guns. You're never gonna get rid of the guns. It's it's part of American culture. Forget it. Yeah. It's not gonna happen. You have to do other things that can you know, limit people in certain circumstances, maybe. I'm getting really into like gun policy here, so maybe, <laughs> let's, maybe let's not go there. But but yeah, in look, individual liberty, that is an out that is a, a an outgrowth of Jeffersonian democracy. Um, it's a cornerstone of that, which and is, that would which is a, a side of of the split that comes later. And even just uh, as a modern example, say the fear of socialized medicine in the US, that would be a similar kind of thing. Absolutely, anything it would be considered maybe overbearing. A federal tyranny. People. This this is yeah. a, this is the fear all the time. The federal yeah. tyranny. Federal tyranny. I mean, w- essentially, what ends up happening after the revolution, like this, just to not to labor on too much, but the split between the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans. The Democratic Republicans are the philosophical, pure Republicanism. Uh, government should be small, small enough that you can beat it to death pretty easily. Um, you, there shouldn't really be a national army. Um, government is, a, is should be viewed as a nece- necessary evil. Individual liberty is everything. It's very anti-British. It doesn't like the idea of... Um, you know, a farmer in Virginia being in hock to a bank in New York, which is in turn in hock to a moneylender in London. Yeah. So Jefferson's thinking is, well, what's the point of the revolution if we're still owned by yeah. moneylenders in London? Change the flag. Yeah. Yeah, you're just changing the flag. But also another another point which is not discussed these days, but which is absolutely key, is separation of church and state. They're mm. very very into separation of church and state. So the United States, despite what their politicians will now say, cannot be said in any sense, to be a Christian country, for mm. example, which yeah. is something that John Adams himself actually said in a treaty later on. Yeah, I, I mean, personally, I would challenge the idea that they wouldn't be able to uh, get rid of the guns, as we say, if they really set their mind to it, because I think this musical as well has helped me realize that these founding fathers, as they're called, which I think, I don't know if, I mean, I'm not American, it's not for me to say, but I don't know if it's a useful epitaph. If you think about, like I said in our group chat, that the more you read about them, the more you realize what squabbling, what yeah. a squabbling mess it all is, yeah. and how these all like people are selling each other out and changing their minds and mm. and changing like the the constitution of the U.S. It feels well, or and every and all the amendments. It, it's not like it was formed like with like in the pictures with mm. with wise people standing around a table like yes now now it's written down and now it's as it shall be forever it's mm. more an absolute chaos that it all comes out of a political compromise yeah it's all compromise loads of compromises and for sure yeah so they all they all basically feel like squabbling uh, reality tv stars at time which is great and mm. why it's part of why it's so great to watch but i think if maybe modern people come to see them a bit more like the you know rappers going up against each other and you might like uh tupac and i might like biggie yeah uh, yeah. but they both got (laughs) shot so get rid of the fucking guns (laughs) well i I would say probably like i I mentioned that the the jeffersonian uh concept of democracy having an influence on the modern culture maybe the federalist influence on the modern culture is this foundational myth stuff yeah. because the way they go on about their constitution now is, is, is as if it was written by God and passed down or to, to, to Moses to, coming down from a mountain yeah you know this kind of thing and it, and it can't be as, as, if, as if it wasn't immediately amended you know what I mean yeah. and, it, and it was immediately amended like mm. Madison and Jefferson immediately amended the constitution yeah. because after the constitutional convention uh, Jefferson said 
this is as I feared. The, the president has too much power. He's a king in all but name. The Congress doesn't have enough power. I would argue that's still the case. The mm. Congress doesn't have enough power and everyone's sitting there while Trump carries out diplomacy via Twitter. Mm. It's a ludicrous way to run a country. And um, so in terms of that, so we have a tinderbox, 13 colonies angered over probably how the war, the, Amer- the French and Indian war had been conducted, uh, various taxes, lack of representation, and so we all have heard def- what famously kind of kicked it all off. But what would be your take, Mark, on what kicked it off? In so uh, Tinderbox is a very good way of describing it. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of f- kind of flashpoints. First happens in 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 uh, in Boston, whereby there is a um, massacre by British troops of some um, civilians outside a courthouse. Basically, what's happening is there's a bunch of troops standing outside guarding a courthouse. There's a protest uh, which is being led by a. Uh, a group called the Sons of Liberty, who are kind of an agitation group. And one of the original groups that were pushing for independence, they're led mm. by uh, Sam Adams, the famous brewer. Mm. Um, or he's certainly one of their leaders. Essentially what ends up happening is someone throws a ball of ice, hits one of the British soldiers, British soldier fires at him. And next thing you know, you've got a riot, some British soldier shoots some people. This turns into a massive scandal across the colonies. Um, and lots of people call for him to just be hanged, but um, impressively, uh, the colony of Massachusetts decides not we're going to have a we're going to have a, a a proper trial, and the public defender brought in is John Adams, and he gets the troops off so they don't get hanged. Now mm. that's seen as an outrage by many of the your know, kind of your bog standard colonial types. Um, by some other people, they think they think well, no, it's the rule of law. That's 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 a good thing that this has happened, but it doesn't stop the agitation. What ends up happening essentially is the British are adding more taxes and taxes and taxes and taxes. And what you're referencing there, I think, is the Boston Tea Party, where mm. a group of uh, agitators, American colonial agitators, basically go down to the Boston docks dressed as Native Americans, mm. and they hop onto the boats and they start throwing the tea into the into the uh, into the river into the sea. Um, so look, the British reaction, as is their want in history, I would, I would suggest, is um, to erroneously use military force at precisely the wrong moment. This, this is what they, they typically will do. Um, showing my Irishness there. But, Co- uh, but costly as well. Like uh, Sending thousands so. of troops across the ocean to put down a rebellion, a riot, a riot, a riot yeah. seems to be counterproductive instead of actually, like, obviously in hindsight, very easy to look back. But you would think that maybe conceding something small at mm. that time to the colonies in terms of representation mm. or control over their taxes, it might have put a lid on it for a few more years again. Well this is yeah well yeah, but this, I mean this is the famous British diplomacy. Like if this if this was if this was to a foreign power, that's probably what they would have done. Yeah. But so, this uh, is this is an internal power, so they get it wrong. Just to follow the timeline here, the first incident you mentioned is that the Boston Massacre? The courthouse massacre, yeah. Okay, and that was in 1770? Yes. So about five years or so before we start the story in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then the, the, the Tea Party, 1773. Exactly, yeah. So there's so everything's just kind of, excuse the pun, brewing during this time. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. good tea um, reference there. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, so it's brewing during this time. And then it, it is referenced like the, I don't know if it's a reference to Boston uh, Tea Party or the massacre. I think. I don't know, The Massacre, it's in The Farmer Refuted, which is one of my favorite tracks of the yeah. musical mm. because of the way that they the two tracks or the two pieces of lyrics overlay with each other where he 
you know, one of the lines is like, look at Boston. Uh, what My dog there? speaks more eloquently. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very good. Um, so, wait, so what you're saying is these troops that were sent over, was that in response to the Boston Tea Party? Yeah, it's, resp- it's in response to the riots generally and, and the Boston Tea Party. What they've really got wrong here is they, when they send their troops in, they uh, they billet them in, in locals' houses. So they force the soldiers into the into the houses of the locals. Never a good idea. Bad move. Uh, I mean, when was even then, it, uh, you're going to force something on the, yeah. on Bostonians. Bad move. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not what you do. I think a good, a good like, there's an excellent line. It's one of my favorite lines in the actual musical, and it's in the song, You'll Be Back, and it's actually King George III of England, and he's lamenting on the revolution in America and, uh, you know, how nobody understands that I really love my subjects, and if only you could give me the time of day, you would yeah. realize the error in your ways. And he actually has a, a, a line and he says, when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. <laughs> and I really think that that, just a couple of lines kind of gives you an idea of the British attitude towards um, the American colonists. Kind of like naughty children that need to be taught yeah. less and more yeah. than anything else. Well, it's a wonderful breakup song and we've all been in relationships like that. <laughs> Um, and it, this was a really messy breakup as well. Uh, obviously, it went on for a while. So these troops that were sent over was that in 1773? Immediately after the Boston yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm actually timeline wise, I, th- I think they're actually on the way anyway. Well, there's okay. constant, yeah, I guess there would have been a colonial press. Yeah, like there would have been a, uh, a colonist. I mean. It's weird because they are the government, sort of. Yeah. But then there's local government as well. But there's kind of there's kind of small scale state legislatures. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I read somewhere that uh, Franklin was the president of Pennsylvania, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and like, I mean, the the, the colonies, um, like, the thing that that brings the collectiveness to it is is the outrage at how all of the states are being treated. Mm. But I mean. <sighs> You know, a yeoman farmer in Virginia, does he really care about a dock worker in Boston? Maybe not. Like, I mean, it's, it's a long distance away, you know. And, and he, he doesn't like paying taxes, obviously. Well, and obviously whoever not. comes along to him and says, look, you're paying a lot of taxes. Mm. It's a bit risky, but we could just take over this area ourselves, join the militia, we'll see what happens. If you're on the bones of your arse, so to speak, you might just go, yeah, I'll go along with it, I'll give it a go. You know? what, what, what happens, yeah, I mean, look, what happens is the state legislatures agree to meet because um, they, they said, what, what are we going to do about this? Like, this, th- things are going really, really badly. So they decide to meet in what's called the First Continental Congress. So each state sends a series of representatives to the First Continental Congress. And you have extremes on both sides. So you have people who are, let's petition the king and apologize for our behavior. And then you have others, the other side who are like, like you referenced earlier, well, what about Boston? Um, what about the Tea Party? What about the Courthouse Massacre? What about, you know, they're putting troops in their houses, all of this kind of stuff. Um, so there's, there's, by no means is this, a, is this a unified group of people who've all come together to say, let's have a revolution. That's not what this and is. The other thing that just fascinates me about this time, and you might have a bit of insight in it, Mike, is obviously these people were largely of, say, uh, British consent, uh, Brit- British descent, the yes. colonists. And yeah. A lot of them would have grown up, and a lot of the founding fathers grew up in continental usa yes. or, or, yeah. or one of yeah, the practically islands, all of them the did, west yeah. indians or whatever um but did they consider themselves british or did they consider themselves uh like american well What's if you the, if you if you read some of the transcripts of the debates that are had in the continental congress they actually refer to themselves as englishmen 
natural born Englishman is what they call it, was what they refer to themselves because that's yeah. the that's the legal language that's used and that's the language that will be used in Parliament yeah. in Westminster in London. So you have these arguments later on. Um, so basically, what's happening, right? There's lots of troops in Boston. The militias in Boston, the Massachusetts militias, are trying to fight off. There's guerrilla hits. It's starting to turn into a war, like a terrorist-like mm-hmm. war. You've got the representatives in the First Continental Congress from states like Massachusetts who are calling on the Congress to adopt the militia as the official army yes. of the United Colonies. Mm. Then you've got other colonists, guys in Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina, are saying, no, this is crazy. Let's let's ask the, the king. Let's let's say, no, can we, look, can we just petition meet? Petition the king. Let's petition yeah. the king, which they do, do. But the, the king comes back. Branch. The king, yeah, the olive branch. And the king comes back and he says, everyone desist now, right now. Everyone who's in the Congress, hand yourselves over now, and I'm going to hang you all. And Franklin has this, is alleged to have had this great line, and he says, well, gentlemen, we will either uh, hang together or we will most assuredly hang separately. So this is one of the things yeah. that drives them together. Yeah. At the same time... A, com- you've, a common enemy. Really. A common enemy, yeah. yeah. And at the same time, you have figures like Washington. Washington is beyond outraged at the, at the behaviour of the British government. You have to remember, this is a guy who fought for them. Am I right in taking my... Did any of the found when this first Congress happened, would many of the founding fathers, so the, the, the six men largely that were, six or seven men that were largely concentrating on here, would, would many of them have met at this? Yeah, very much yeah. so. So this, this is where Adams meets Ben Franklin. This is where Thomas Jefferson comes onto the scene. Um, an interesting point about Jefferson Jefferson is the same age as you are now when he's at this yeah. which is um, which is early 30s yeah, early 30s, yeah, yeah, very early 30s. <laughs> yeah. so um, Adams is a little bit older Adams is about 7 or 8 years older maybe uh, and Franklin's a good bit older older than the rest but this is where a lot of them meet yeah and they begin discussing what their actual plans are what do you really think like what should we really be trying to do here how many people is sure at this Congress? Uh, oh, no, that's a good question. I think there might be four representatives from each of the colonies. Mm. I think that's right. So four times 13. And Hamilton at this there. time, he's arrived. He So he's kind of, I think, I believe he he's left Nevis. He He's at Princeton College. Yeah. And he was funded to study abroad because, yeah. uh, was it a local merchant or somebody like that, noticed that he had brains to burn and was like, okay, we can't keep this guy yeah. in his backwater. Let's send him off. Yeah, so he goes to Princeton College. Who's does he? Did he not go to King's College? That's or? that is Princeton. All right, everything's the King's I'd Jacob. Be, that's part of the problem. I here. think. Yeah. I think I'm right. No, I think, I think, end, right. Uh, yeah. Maybe open I'm to missing. correction. Open to correction. Yeah. Let, right. Let's. I'll. I'll research this. You continue okay. speaking. I'll just Dear listener. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> we only have one. So, <laughs> I, so I, th- I think he's going to the college that Aaron Burr's father is the president of. I think. Right. I think I'm right in saying that. Um. But yeah, so Ham- Hamilton has arrived into the, into the US. Now, imagine being a young upstart with, as you say, bra- brains to burn and nothing to lose, crucially, arriving into an area of the colonies where all the talk on the street is revolution. All right, I'll cut you off because so he went to uh, King's College, which is now Columbia. So ah. Prince- but Princeton is mentioned uh, in the musical as well because he wants to get uh, an accelerated course of study like Aaron Burr did at, at Princeton. Princeton. Right. Um, but he's denied that, allegedly punches the burser, which is not true. It only rhymes with Burr, sir. That's why it's in there. <laughs> that is, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm it's glad... <laughs> I'm glad he included that. <laughs> yes, I am as well. Sets his character. Even though Hamilton was not considered to be an overly violent man in person, it's still, I mean, it's a great way to start it. Um, yeah, so he went to what is now Columbia. It does make sense since that's a New York college. Yes, Columbia. and he, ended, he, he was going to, so interesting, another tidbit that I just, I don't know anything, like I say, so I'm excited whenever I learn anything new. Sure. Um, 
but Hercules Mulligan, who is this guy who basically is the spy, uh, yes. who is a tailor's apprentice, yeah. according to the song, which he would have been a full tailor at that point, and a good bit older than Hamilton. So Hamilton actually lives with this guy. He comes to New York and moves in with him, uh, as far as I understand it. Yeah. And so he's going to go to Princeton, but that doesn't really work out. I don't know if it was because he didn't get the accelerated course or whatever, but... It's probably the money. Yeah. It's the money, right? He hasn't got the money. Yeah, so he goes to uh, Columbia or King's College instead. They still have the crown in their little uh, symbol, though, even though they're now Columbia. Um, Branding. Yeah. That, 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 I'd say that's more of an effort of showing their age. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, he goes there, and he was definitely influenced by uh, Hercules Mulligan as like a sort of mentor figure because Hamilton was very young, Hercules Mulligan a bit older, and he'd been a part of this... Uh, what's it sons of liberty sons of liberty yeah. yes who opposed this whole stamp act and yes, everything yeah, so yeah. that was kind of cool because like we mentioned they didn't all meet in a pub <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and he so hamilton he has a kind of a meteoric rise people notice in him a spark they also notice that he's a very good organizer uh himself am i right in thinking at this age he was young he was idealistic he he wanted to die a martyr that's what's portray uh, that's what's actually I think I'm not sure what the song is. He's having a chat with Right Hand Man, is it? Yeah. With George Washington in, in the actual musical. And he's saying how he wants to uh, essentially be in the army and control of a battalion so that he can essentially die for the cause. Yeah, fly, above, mentions yeah. fly above my station. I think yeah. Yeah. Already yeah. Is, and it? Washington, he, he actually has a, a little quote and he's like, dying is easy, li- living is hard. And he kind of persuades him to become his sec what would you call it aid the camp is aid what you'd call camp. it yeah, yeah he's yeah. just he's it, like as the as the, the track in the music calls it right hand man he's a guy who he's a, he's his administrator to get to washington you've got to go through hamilton mm-hmm. so hamilton arrives into new york he's in he gets involved with hercules mulligan he's the son of a immigrant from enniskillen mulligan is a is a, a brave brave man like he he yeah. starts passing messages back and forth from the sons of liberty from this tailor shop and from other places where he befriends british soldiers he's regarded as the founder of the american secret service believe it or not all right and when i um, read up on him uh, we have to call out that he was irish or born in Derry. yes um and uh went to the u.s and it said in one source i don't know how reliable this is but that he used among other things his ability to drink a lot uh to sort of get, get people hammered yeah and get yeah. the information out of them yeah yeah well as we, we're all as we're all to this day to do, you know you know to this day when you want to get a secret out of a friend in that's ireland that's what you do yeah, yeah, yeah i'll just i'll just you'll just have another three no secrets points. here yeah, yeah. Or as he says when you is it him who says when he rides into the pub two points of sam adams and i'm working on three is yeah it him or is it lawrence one of them says anyway but yeah, they're, look, they're, they're drinkers. But they're young men. They get caught up in the fervor of the yeah. of the incitement to revolution, as you see in every society, you know, this, the, the angry youth kind of thing, you know. Um, the, the Congress, meanwhile, is debating over what the hell we should do. They get this petition returned to them from the king where he's like, nope, I'm going to hang you all. So they're kind of forced together. Um, are, are they united at this time or are the petty rivalries which will later cause so many problems the petty rivalries are there the whole time look they're just there throughout but are they united in terms of we've got to actually adopt the militia and start trying to fund it yes they are Adams wins this argument Mm. we have to adopt them so now the argument is who do we appoint to lead it and if you're from New England or the middle states you're thinking to yourself well they're adopting our militia and we're the ones doing the fighting but we need them on board so what we do so they go for an eminent southerner which is George Washington. Mm-hmm. So they actually put forward 
a southerner to lead the army, much to the surprise of the southern delegates. So they don't, they probably just don't see this coming, you know. They're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe it isn't all just about the north and New England. Maybe, maybe they are actually interested in. Mm-hmm. Now, Colonel Washington is probably the most uh, fitted for the role anyway. There's um, lines in Ben Franklin's writings where he's alleged to have said things like, uh, he's always the tallest man in any room. Yeah. It's a matter of time before he ends up leading something. <laughs> I, yeah, like I, I read somewhere about him that if you were to put a, a hundred men in a field and you were asked to guess who was the commander of this force, you would pick him because he, whatever, this is not scientific, but he had an air of leadership about yeah, him. He, did, he yeah. believed in dressing to appeal to men's kind of, um, I suppose, I suppose their their uh, respect for uniform, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was kind of a natural leader in that way, anyway. Well, he, he arrives at the Congress and he even says to Adams, um, "I plan to to raise a force of a thousand men in Virginia and march them myself to the relief of Boston." And uh, uh, Adam <laughs> Adams says something to him like, "Oh, that's very generous." And he says, "It's not it's not generosity; it's duty." You know, so everyone's like, "Oh, this guy!" Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this is the leader. Is any of this true? Probably not. But this is the myth that starts to propagate around this guy. Yeah, you know? and as as is shown in the musical, he seems to be the one uh, person who's everyone considers to be beyond reproach, which yes. is so great. Very much so. In modern terms, I would see him as the host of the reality TV show, beyond the drama, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, He's yeah. just the g- central pillar who keeps it all together, kind of an Anton Deck figure. Well, very but- much so. Like, even, even with Washington's presidency, like the way it's portrayed and the way he portrayed it certainly himself and the way Hamilton will have portrayed it is that he stands down after two terms because the fear that he's too popular and he's going to... Really, he become really unpopular at this point. And maybe the reason he stepped down is because he was afraid that his legacy was about to be destroyed. Mm. So he stepped away from it. And one of the reasons he was finding the th- whole thing so difficult is the revolutionary, the, the Congress, the, the leaders of the Congress, they'd started to split into two distinct political parties. Yeah. And the level of infighting was was extraordinary and he was trying to be above all of it mm. but really Hamilton's his guy so he's kind of on Hamilton's side yeah. and then probably the most intelligent of the lot of them which is Jefferson he's kind of the leader of the other side and it's just look it's very very difficult mm. he's the Secretary of State and the Secretary of the Treasury and they hate each other and you right. know and long before so maybe this, that's why he actually sat down you know they're ver- they're united essentially in so they've decided now it's no compromise with the king it's get the British out well the king decides it for them Okay. He basically says, "Look, um, surrender. That's, that's all there is to it. Like, just, like, stop acting as if you're going to do something about this. Yeah. Surrender. The the uh, there is attempts to push the British forces out of Boston. They 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 largely fail. There's a battle, uh, two battles, two small scale battles, Lexington and Concord, which are uh, famous in American history, where the militia try to stand up to the British army a couple of times. Doesn't go brilliantly, but they they take out a few of the British soldiers, and that gives them a little bit of." Well, you know, maybe we can do some damage here. Remember, these guys are these militia men. A lot of them fought in the in the French and Indian War. A lot of them are hunters. They're good marksmen. They can shoot these guys. Like, uh, they know how muskets work. They own their own muskets, yeah. and they know the land. And what British would be if you had to pick? What's the pivotal year here? Is it in terms of what it balanced, where it could have all fallen flat? And probably se- probably seventeen seventy four. Maybe when the when the when the Congress is called, it's pro- mm. it's probably then. I mean, it would have basically folded before it started. Yeah, 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 very much so. Like, I mean, had the British strategy been slightly different... A bit softer. Maybe a bit softer, yeah. Or even if they landed their troops in the south. 
Yeah, well, things might have gone a bit differently there, you know. So and, all of these troops arrived in Boston, did they? Yeah, for the most part, they they, they arrive a, a big a big a big load of troops into Boston. Some of that is just that's probably the easiest part to get to. Sure, <laughs> geographically. Yeah. What, what would be the and the significance? So obviously, they had their own resources. And one thing we need to talk about when we're talking about these colonies is, although you know militarily and all that, they were on the back foot to start off. The fact that they had abundant resources like the american colonies even then those 13 colonies you know in terms of raw resources like Extra- yeah, no, extraordinary extraordinary like extraordinary. just beyond our comprehension or especially beyond somebody's comprehension who's used to scrap uh, like scraping a living uh in the northwest of Europe on yeah. a rock in Ireland oh, or England. Very, yeah. very true, but but remember as well, much of this resource has not been industrialised. Mm. So it's there, but but do they really have access to it? Mm. When, when they adopt the Continental Congress and they start levying taxes and throwing money at, 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 the, at Washington's new ra- rabble, as he calls it, like it's not going very well. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> Well, interestingly, I just wanted to say about the resources and that, that is, even though it's sort of obscured by the... Uh, spectacle of all the, the great rap songs and yeah, all. Yeah. Um, the second part of the musical is definitely a lot about what are we doing with this shit now that we got it. Yeah. And like the interesting thing is like it does it kind of goes into it, but it you know read just a little bit and you start understanding a bit more what are they actually arguing about doing here when they're talking about the adoption of state debts and yeah. stuff like that that we don't need to get For into practical right now. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting when you realize that Hamilton is definitely more. Um. I mean. It's clear in the musical too, but he's very much on the side of like Wall Street and empowering businesses rather than free enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah like empowering free enterprise to basically go and do this stuff. He he wants money to be collected rather than spread out. So it's kind of the opposite of uh, socialism. One might say that he loves having a lot of money in one place, uh, whether it be in their federal bank or even in private entrepreneurs, because he believes genuinely that they will be a force for good, which, you know, free market economics. That's his thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of resources uh, during the war effort, how important for you is the French connection? It's, com- it's com- yeah. completely vital. The, Amer- the American great, Revolution. Great sweaters. That's <laughs> 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 terrible. I, I would I would be of the opinion uh, that the American Revolution would completely fail without without an alliance with France, and the reason for that is the French Navy blocks the British Navy from arriving more troops and from um, locking down ports and from uh, essentially being able to project power in a way that it would normally be able to do along the eastern coast because the American Navy is virtually non-existent. When it does pop up, it's a small. It's a small kind of privateer force that like sneaks onto onto British troops uh, or British flotillas and sets them on fire and then runs off. Like they they are brilliant. Yeah. Like these are these are seriously brave men. But this this is not like man of war uh, fleets, you know, smashing into each other and cannons going into each other. That's what the French are doing to the, yeah. to the British at this point. And French interest here, largely, I suppose, their their interest in war is largely just because it's. Uh, uh, England's weakness is their opportunity. 100%. This is not ideological for yeah. France. Like, I mean, one of the things that's inspiring uh, the founding fathers, the American uh, revolutionary leaders, is uh, an Englishman, Thomas Paine, who's who's written a pamphlet called Common Sense. Now, Common Sense uh, sells 120,000 copies in the colonies. Mm. And it's all about how monarchy is a nonsense. Uh, and there's this great phrase, I've won the quotes here, where he says, step forward... Uh, oh no! Sorry, all ye that oppose the tyrant and stand for humanity, step forth. And so this, this, that kind of rhetoric has been spread all around the colonies. And you see symbols and flags that say things like "unite or die," yeah. appeal to appeal to God. 
it's one of the phrases rather than appeal to the king appeal to god it's a higher power it's a higher power above you know and jefferson he's in situ in paris and he's kind of lobbying for on behalf of the colonists (laughs) for french uh, intervention uh we have uh, our firm favorite Lafayette as well, who brings a bit of comic relief to the the, the musical. Yeah, La- La- Lafayette's an interesting character because he's a, he's a he's a marquis, he's a marquis. So he's a he's a French nobleman who renounces his nobility um, and comes to fight for the for the American colonies. Yeah, and uh, returns to France. And he's friends with he, he's an interesting character because he's friends with with men who are not friends with each other if that yeah. makes sense so he's very very close with George Washington because he, he ends up taking a command point in the American army mm. uh, the Continental Army um, but he's very very close with Hamilton but he's also very very close with Jefferson Here he, he's, the, he, he's referred to as the hero of two continents yeah very much yeah. so this is a guy who I think I'm right in saying there's either a town or a park in every state in America now not that it's good yeah. like you can't go anywhere without seeing a Lafayette street or a Lafayette or whatever you know yeah, I read a little bit of For Liberty and Glory, which you lent me by James Gaines. Yeah. And uh, just the the opening chapters portrays Washington as just up to here with French young noblemen trying to make a mark. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's just they're they're being thrown at him by Congress or, or whoever yeah. to just kinda like his France has this interest, so they're all heading over there to basically do some Wild West shit a hundred yeah, years yeah, in yeah, advance. Yeah. It's like their gap year, yeah. 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 And yeah, when, yeah. when when he meets Lafayette, it's like the initial impression is is much the same, I'd say. And then eventually in in total frustration uh, Washington writes to Congress and like, okay, apparently this guy's been told he's going to lead troops. And you told me he wasn't going to lead troops. Yeah. Now, which one of us is lying? Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Because this is just a kid. He's 19 years old or yeah. whatever. And what I, what like, I can do... Can I have some more horses, for God's sake? Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, what I do find, I just uh, before we move on, I, I just want to touch on the irony of just that the French monarchy supported the American War of Independence. Just because... The French monarchy at the time was as autocratic as you could imagine. Oh, it's it was a horrific tyranny. Yeah, it's a total tyranny. And, yeah, and in a way, it everything it supported by supporting the American, um, the American Revolution <laughs> would come back to haunt it in yeah. its own country, like in in its own revolution. What uh, fourteen, fifteen years later, yeah. whenever it was. So you know, it was very much short term thinking. <laughs> Uh, get one over on the English. It wasn't. Oh, these are dangerous ideas, which could eventually well, lead to the overthrow, uh, overthrowing of, of, of our own yeah. system. Well, bear, bear in mind that thought is very far from the mind of the French king that they'd actually overthrow the monarch. Mm. You might even say the Americans aren't necessarily trying to do that at this point. That the idea that they establish a republic—that's much later. Yeah. That comes out of the 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 the, um, the uh, constitutional convention. Where there's this famous line that Ben Franklin's supposed to have said when he walks out and, and a person in the street says, what kind of government have you given us? And he says, a republic, if you can keep it. Yeah, <laughs> But, it's, but yeah, like th- yeah. this idea that it was going to be a republic, that's not what we're at at this point. That's not been decided. All they know is they're going to try and stop this British army from oppressing. Mm. That's, yeah. what, that's and, what's happening. And one thing that needs to be mentioned as well uh, with that is that we, as we said, we look back on this and it all seems to be written in stone and it all feel, yeah. has this air of inevitability yeah. to it. But obviously during the war, that wasn't the case. But even afterwards, as they were sort of tentatively forming this republic, 
there was so much uncertainty and there were so many weird plots and things to like maybe make this separate part of country and we're going to overthrow this and like this federalist plot that I had never heard of and all these very interesting uh, pieces of fodder for alternate history stories, you know, where things could very easily have gone differently. Uh, That's what I think, uh, and I can see exactly why this fascinated Mark so much when I actually looked into it and realized that it had this whole situation was unprecedented in modern history. Completely, uh, yeah. on completely a large scale. The attempt to form some form of a representative republican democracy, at least for a limited franchise, had not been done since the days of uh, what you could argue the Roman Republic. Yeah, you know, uh, on a small scale with the Greek city states, it was a like the the scale of the the founding fathers' ambition. Is immense. Oh, it's it's, it's incredible, yeah. and, th- and this is largely led. Uh, I, I would say is largely led by Adams, uh, Ben Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson at the Continental Congress. Um, they were assigned a committee of three to draft the, the Declaration, and Adams, having read some of Jefferson's writings, said, "No, not to you. You're you're going to do you're going to do the writing here. Like you're you're the guy." Jefferson doesn't give speeches, as he says himself. He has no gift for oratory. He's not a he's not a good speaker. Adams is a killer speaker. Like this guy, he could he could convince you of anything. This fellow, like on the floor, and he's trying to he he's decided that independence. It's got to be independence. Independence or death. That's what it is. He's got maybe half of the Congress kind of with him. So uh, Pennsylvania is with him. Uh, he's definitely got New England. So he's got uh, Rhode Island and and uh, Massachusetts and so on. Um, Jefferson's with him, but maybe the rest of Virginia maybe isn't with him. Uh, North and South Carolina, maybe not with him. Georgia, maybe not with him. So it's all about trying to convince all of them to come together. As Franklin put it, it's it, we have to um, all thirteen points have to strike at once. Um, Wait, so it's like it's easy to mix them up. Is this the Constitutional Convention or no, the Continental is, Congress? This is the Continental Congress. Right, the so Constitutional Convention is later later on. Yeah, right. this is this is early to conclude the war. I suppose how how did that happen? Well, let me ask first, just because yeah. I it's something that's been niggling in my brain here. So in the track Right Hand Man, there's a lot about yeah. New York being taken over by the yeah, British. the British arrive um, troops into New York. So that happens at some point, yeah. Yeah, they they arrive <laughs> troops into into the south of Manhattan. Um, with the idea going that they go street by street up the island, mm. uh, north of the island, and Washington tries to stop them, and he can't. He yeah. he, he just can't. He can't stop them. It's like the, the speed of movement, the professionalism of the British army, the resource that they've got. The Continental Army at this point has forced the British out of Boston because they captured cannons and basically took a high ground and just bombarded them until they left. But Manhattan is a different story. So Hamilton and his, and his boys are hiding out in Harlem, in in, in modern day Harlem, and as, as the British forces come up. The American army just has to run away. It just it just can't stand and fight them. They're not in a position where they can win a standing battle yeah. yet. They just haven't got the organization. They haven't got the manpower. They haven't got the training. They haven't really got the ammunition, frankly, to do yeah. it. So they're trying to run a, a, a type of war almost similar to what we would recognize as the the Irish War of Independence, a kind of a guerrilla warfare campaign. That's the kind of thing that they're running. And in the in the the musical even says, uh, "Strike quick by night, get out fast." All of this, yeah. kind of, we're going to fly a lot of flags half mass. You know the, these kind of lines. That's very much what the what the American army is doing at this point. And how long did that go on for? Oh, years and years and years, like seven years. Like yeah. it's, it goes on a long time, and and it's it's fairly brutal. And then the British reaction, as most overbearing reactions would be, would be massacres. You know, <laughs> they'd be really over the top and probably target the wrong people and then you radicalise another group and then they join the army and, and what, oh, the would, what would be the <laughs> they're great at this so the, the British historically I'll just say this they're brilliant at winning wars and they're terrible at winning peace like this is this is their thing you know 
And what do you think is was the final straw? What won it for Washington and the colonists? Um, Large-scale French military intervention. Um, there was a couple of minor victories. Well, militarily, I would call them minor victories, but for the culture, they were massive victories. So, so there's this famous, uh, and it's actually, I think it's actually, it's a painting that hangs in the White House, and it's Washington crossing the Delaware. Yeah. It's one of those famous painting where he's mm. standing on the, and it's the guy holding the flag, believe it or not, is meant to be James Madison or James Monroe, one of those guys. Um, but there's kind of like a sneak attack at night on Christmas Day across the Delaware River where they just take out a very big British force that inspires a lot of people. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna turn the war. That victory also inspires the French to finally fucking arrive with their navy that they've been promising for seven years, and it arrives off the coast. Uh, the commander of um, the com- commander of the British forces, which is a guy called uh, Lord uh, Cornwallis, who later becomes the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, believe it or not. But he, the name before, he, yeah. um, he ends up holed up in Yorktown, um, which is one of the large uh, colonial towns. And the French surround the port with the French fleet. They land a small force of troops. The American army musters everything it's got. Turns up at Yorktown, which is in the in the in the play. Yeah, there's a big battle, and they just surrender the British. They just go, oh, "Fuck this! Like we can't, we can't, can't keep going here. We can't do. We can't get out. We can't. We, we can't get out. The French navy's right there. The French royal fleet is gonna bomb us to bits if we try and move into the sea. The Americans will attack us if we come out of the, if we come out of the town. They just surrender. They surrender to George Washington." Right. So, but after that, um, because it is such a satellite uh, state or whatever at this yeah. point, it, couldn't the British Crown just have gone? Ah, fuck it. We'll send some more people. Or at this point, has it become, as they say in the song, impossible to justify the cost of the fight? Yeah, they're bankrupt. They're yeah. basically bankrupt. This is this is what's happened. The French have bled them dry here. It's not just the French. That's the other thing that people need to understand. Like the, the Spanish Navy starts attacking British fleet uh, shipping. Why not? And then the Dutch Navy does as well because they're just like fuck it. Why Spanish not? Spanish were they in Florida? This, uh, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, and in the, and in the Caribbean generally. I mean, what we now know as Western Hemisphere, like it's not settled at this point in ter- in terms of who owns what. You know, the Dutch also end up l- lending money to the to the Continental Congress. So they're just like oh, fuck it, like. We'll, we'll, we'll have a go at the Brits the as well. The Dutch always are willing to take a, a, a bet. Yeah. But yeah. also remember, though, this is a, at, this, at this point in history, the Dutch is a federal republic. Mm. So imagine them seeing that, and maybe some of them are thinking, well, they're kind of copying us here. This is kind of like that. Like, that's, yeah. that's a good idea, you know? Yeah. So Yorktown, I think, is, is the, or the world turned upside down or whatever. That's yes. like the last bit of the first act. And guys, we've talked about this for over an hour now, believe it or not. So uh, we're going to have to get a bit more condensed here in the yeah. second half of the musical. Uh, well done on winning the war, lads. But um, I think, Mark, you had like a list, like we mentioned at the start already, but the Founding Fathers, as they're called, uh, didn't you have like one word for each of them or something like that? Because I just love the sound of that. Yeah, well, for, for maybe not for all of them, but for the, I, I would say the guys who were the most key that we're talking about. So Hamilton, I, I refer to as the pragmatist. Um, he's a self-made guy. He's re- wrote himself into the position he was in. He's extremely prolific, firebrand. He's brash. He's obsessed with his legacy. He is also a federalist. He's trying to force the union of the states together. He was known as the the little line of federalism. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is a guy. Like he founded newspapers. He founded the the Coast Guard. He founded what we now know as like Wall Street, the Bank of New York. Is it the New York Post? Is it New York Post? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's, that's the paper. Yeah, he ends up being the lead of the army after Washington has died. Mm. He's the principal member of the Federalist Party, whose nominal leader is John Adams, even though John Adams doesn't necessarily consider himself a member. Um, so yeah, he's look, he's a firebrand. He invents the entire financial system of the United States, yeah. um, 
which is not bad going. Is he he's responsible for Wall Street? Completely responsible uh, for Wall Street. Yeah, he's yeah. Re- is he responsible for the fact that there's a central bank? Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. He is. So his financial plan in the in the under the first government is that the federal government would adopt states' debts, which is the, what the first rap battle is about. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's the war debt. So that's the debt that each individual state has incurred. Now, why is he doing that? It forces the allegiance of the states to the federal government because yes. that's where the debt is held, right? That's where the cash is. Jefferson's yeah. afraid of this. Yeah. Because he's like, well, where are we getting the money to pay this off? And Virginia is now in hock to bankers in New York. I'm not sure that's a great idea because who are they in hock to? You know, so... Yeah. but And the idea is partially, as far as I understand it, after some very brief reading, that, like, if the, you know, if the federal state assumes the debt of the states... Yeah. Um, they have money owed to them so they can actually take loans from other countries exactly. as well, exactly. which, again, might not sound that promising. Are we going to lend it from British people and then we're paying back them for the war we just had? So uh, you get a loan from the Dutch government. That has established American credit. You can't run a capitalist system without credit. What I, I think is just when I was reading about Hamilton and his idea about creating the federal bank, I suppose, or a federal uh, economic system, it reminded me of the European financial crisis just 10 years ago. Yeah. And what became evident was that in Europe, we had created a currency, um, which, you know, was a common currency. Everyone had the same, uh, 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 the majority of European, Western European countries had, had the same money in their pocket. Um, you know, there's a central bank, all this, but the debts haven't been federalized in the same way as they had in the US mm-hmm. and that had just kind of been ignored for the first 10 years yeah. of the history of the euro and then it became very very obvious when the crisis hit that everyone was all of a sudden like well I'm not paying for Greeks debt yeah, I'm yeah, not paying exactly, yeah. the Germans aren't paying for them yeah. you know what I mean um, so when I thought of that I thought that in a way Hamilton he was a visionary because you know he he foresaw a way of cementing the union together I suppose because once you share money and debt, you're you're less likely to break away, whether it be a marriage or whether it be yeah. um, a, 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 a ha- Hamilton al- alongside uh, John Jay and John and James Madison is also responsible for producing a, a series of essays referred to as the Federalist Papers, which is referenced heavily in the play mm-hmm. or in the musical. Now that that's uh, f- they're foundational documents that are still referenced in American law now. Yeah, and they were essays that came after the constitutional. Um, uh, convention, which was trying to convince people to adopt the constitution and to vote for it, yeah. and they 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 spoke about how the the need for unity was paramount, and this one colony wouldn't survive on its own, and all of these kinds of all of these kinds of different things. Now they got very philosophical at, at mm. points. Hamilton wrote fifty of them, I think. Yeah, so 50 or 60, yeah I mean, Burr has a shout about how many. <laughs> yeah, zeros. it's just the, the level. Of, like, I, I actually recently just bought the the Library of America. They collected writings of Hamilton, like and you, like. This, this is a big volume. You know what I mean? It's a lot. This guy wrote a lot. You know, and within well, the guy was nonstop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Mac, you you wanted to finish the, your one line on each of the Federalists because I do want to ask, or each of the founding fathers, because I wanted to ask you about their rivalries quickly. Uh, yeah, so I, I call Jefferson the visionary. Um, he he's sometimes referred to as the author of America, like he wrote yeah. America into existence, which is which is an interesting concept. Yeah. Um, so he's an extremely complex character. He's a young farmer from Virginia. He wrote a thing called the Statute of Rights. He was the youngest delegate to the Congress. He drafted the Declaration, Declaration of Independence. Mm. This famous... I'm, I'm not going to quote it, but I can if you want me to. Um, <laughs> he, he's uh, <laughs> Not quite, yeah. but I, I, I know the, the opening. 
Anyway, um, so he was also the first foreign diplomat. He was the first Secretary of State. Uh, he was the second Vice President. He was the third President. You know, he's just, yeah. looked, he's just this he's done it all. extraordinary yeah. man. He also founded the University of Virginia. But he's this extraordinary, extraordinary guy. So he, I called him the visionary. Um, John Adams I called the unifier. And the reason I call him the unifier is he not only defended British troops against rabble as in he's forcing law to be the main thing it's a it's a a republic of laws not men that's what he kept saying um but he also won the debate on the floor that got the colonies to unify he's the first guy to call them the united states Mm. he's he's the first guy to use phrasing like that gets kind of a bad rap in the in the musical yeah he does he does later on because he 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 was no fan of Hamilton. He thought Hamilton was an, uh, an imperialist, which called him a, a bastard brat of a Scotch peddler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Creole bastard. He called yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Adams was also quite a cranky man. Like he, 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 even in his own lifetime, he was upset that his legacy wasn't respected. Yeah, you know, and he, he didn't like the role of vice president because the vice president does fuck all. Even now, like <laughs> I mean, they don't like. All they really are there to do is... Well, yeah, because he was vice president under Washington. Under right? Washington, yeah, because he came second in the election, by a distance second. Yeah. But it, he, um, the vice president, all they really do is break a tight vote in the Senate. That's all they really do. And if the president dies, they become president. That's it. Like. Um, so I call him the unifier. Um, Washington, I refer to as the guiding star. So he's the kind of guy, like you said earlier, Jacob, is beyond reproach. He's the one guy that everyone agrees should be the leader. Yeah. Basically. Um, and Franklin? Then what about ben Franklin, Franklin, I call the sage. So Franklin's the eldest... He's a polymath. He's the first person to conduct electricity. He's, he's inventing things. He's that inventing like, things. Nobody yeah. will ever need that. And then it's like, oh shit, we need that quick. But he, he's it, yeah. he's self-made and he's self-taught. Like this, mm. this is a guy who, who who educated himself. He moved to London. He worked in the. He, he kind of established the American Postal Service. Mm. He he was like their first diplomat who brought the Congress's complaints to the king. That was him who did that in mm. London. Um, he also kind of tried to calm both sides down early on he was like well let's maybe not have a militia and don't do this it, and is, do it, is it wrong to say that although all of these people were extraordinary talented and they were and visionaries yeah, in a lot of ways, much so. that their egos were also massive and got in the way of a lot of this stuff I wouldn't say that's fair for Franklin okay. well maybe only because he died right well <laughs> well, well if you maybe? read if you read his writings he's he's Considering the fact that he's essentially the embodiment of the American myth, like this is this is like sure. the he he's got to be top five icons of the American culture. Yeah. He won that argument really, consi- considering all of that. He was just yeah. he was an extraordinarily charismatic guy. It all came a little bit late for him in life. Yeah. Maybe if it was twenty years earlier, he probably would have been president. president. You know, he was he was this, this is a seriously talented man. Yeah, he passed away in seventeen ninety and yeah. is not featured at all in the musical. <laughs> no, no, it's, it'd be difficult to wedge him in. Sure. You know, and how does Burr and so how does Burr and Hamilton come to come to duel essentially? Flips, how, flip sides of the flip happen? sides of the same coin. This, this mm-hmm. is what's happening here. So for everything that you would say about Hamilton coming from nothing, Burr. You can't say that. Yeah. So Burr's father, as I mentioned earlier, was the president of uh, Princeton. And his mother was just like wealthy, well-known, good speaker, all this kind of stuff. Um, Burr, I would regard as the first modern politician. So it, when it came to running for elections and stuff, he started canvassing. So he started going door to door, talking about, you should you should vote for me, all this kind of stuff. That was regarded as being highly ungentlemanly yeah. by the other guys. You know, that's not something you do. Other people should be talking about how great you are. You don't talk about how great you are yourself. And you would know? it be fair to say that Burr was, like you were saying, so a modern politician, uh, like one of the biggest things that um, 
Hamilton accused him of was basically to be, I think he said, he's unprincipled both as a public and private man. Yeah. Um, so, like, he essentially was more interested, and he did switch parties. He did he switch. Did, he was yeah. an opportunist. He, uh, very he, much he, so. he moved. Very much he so. moved through these things. Um, another one quote that when when trying to establish why these two gentlemen would eventually duel, and to be honest, dueling was very common at that time. Like it was, it his was. own son, I think Hamilton died in a duel defending Phil, his honor. Phil, as well. Philip Hamilton, yeah, he he, he was the first Philip. There was two Philips. He named another was, Philip. He had yeah. eight kids, I think. He did total, have eight kids, massive yeah. stuff. But what I, what I really what what the the insult that um that Hamilton said about Burr, which for me must uh, hit home, and I think must have been extremely damaging as well, was he referred to him as the American Catline. Yeah, and yeah, which is not a bad comparison. Yeah, yeah. And Catline, at the time, Catline was a figure in the Roman Republic who basically tried to overthrow the state. Um, and to co- considering how these people were all steeped in enlightenment thinking in the American Revolution, to be called someone a Catline would a violent oh, horrendous, uh, horrendous, yeah, horrendous thing to say so he demanded satisfaction is that right yeah look yeah. look burr and hamilton kind of their their experiences mirror each other in in a, in, a, in a as portrayed in the musical to a large extent he's orphaned he joins the army he probably does more fighting actual fighting than hamilton does he he joins the army he goes under general montgomery um they go up into into canada he's uh a bit crazy on the battlefield as well montgomery gets shot in the neck and uh, dies, and a burr runs out into the battlefield to try and retrieve the body under fire. Like, this guy's a bit Jesus, mental yeah, as well. Yeah, like. yeah. But also, as a, a member of the New York Assembly, something that should be said about Burr, he brought forward bills to, to uh, increase women's rights. Like, he's seen as a, an early advocate mm-hmm. of women's rights, which is not something you can say for most of the other <laughs> founding fathers. He also was very, very, very against slavery. Mm-hmm. He just thought it was you know, a horrible, uh, what it is. It's a, hor- a horrible, horrible thing. Um, but he, he's someone who was regarded well, he was as, black. Well, in the, in the musical, <laughs> he was, yeah. Uh, he ran against Jefferson in the 1800 uh, presidential election. Well, um, so this is another one of those things where, like, that the musical seems to grossly oversimplify, cor- rightly so. Because yeah. <laughs> when I looked into it, it was like, the idea, as far as I understood it, was that... Uh, he was supposed to be the vice president, like they, but it's all in the electoral college. Like it's not like the people. It's not like the thing Hamilton wrote to sway people to one side or the other was to sway the people. It was like it ended up with the electoral college, uh, but it was decided, like it was supposed to be that some of them will withheld some of their votes for Burr so that he get gets the second amount of votes because at this time you couldn't have a bill with two people so whoever got the second amount of votes would be vice president so they were trying to coordinate that and i don't know what happened but they got the same amount of votes instead i think uh unless i'm mistaken on this mark you can correct me but so basically um and i i guess i i honestly i don't speak with a lot of uh certainty about it that that's that's basically it have a draw and it's but he wasn't running against Jefferson, like no, no, he wasn't necessarily. Well, but then when they were suddenly, they're, they're when technically they, the same party at that point as well. Mm. So it's kind of a popularity contest. Jefferson is a much more divisive figure than Burr. The, the phrase Hamilton uses in the, in, the, in the musical is like, "No one knows where you stand on anything. You you ob- obfuscate and obscure. No one knows really what he, what he's standing for." I think Madison in the in the play says something like, "Yeah, they see Burr as a less extreme you." He says to Jefferson, "Yeah, which is very very true." So it comes down to. Trying to be trying to get an endorsement to sway the delegates to change their votes against him. 
Now, if I got this right, again, not totally sure, but I think um, the party that was controlling the House at the time was the Federalists. Yes, So correct. they had an opportunity to kind of go with Burr instead of Jefferson. Yes. So it's not like the people were deciding this way or the other, and that's why Hamilton's word actually matters, because yes. he's obviously a central Federalist figure. Yeah, right? he's Yes, exactly. He's the father of the Federalist but party. But the origin of their their sort of animosity goes back 15, 30 years since they'd known each other. They had always... They were always putting heads, yeah, on and off, always yeah. putting heads. Hamilton has an, an amazing knack for annoying everyone. Mm. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is something that, that, you know, look, I know the musical is about him, so it's portrayed from his perspective. Mm. Almost everyone hates this guy who, who works <laughs> with him. Almost everyone who's in the cabinet, when he's in the cabinet, he's just, he won't shut up. Mm. He's He's... Just, I mean, in terms of speaking, but in terms of writing as well, the reference in the musical at the Continental uh, or the the Constitutional Convention. See, it's tricky. It is tricky. (laughs) He speaks for six hours, like, and some of the stuff he comes out with is absolutely rubbish. Like, Jefferson accuses him of of being obsessed with nobility, and Hamilton suggests things like inheriting positions of cabinet postings and all sorts of mad stuff and they're just like what are you talking about Hamilton who suggested that laws should be temporary or yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. like so you you only do laws for your generation and then the next generation decides well what I what I like about now I know (laughs) I know these all seem like crazy ideas but what I do like everything is on the table yeah and that they had some sort of a utopian uh idea that they could create some sort of a perfect society which never goes well let's be honest but the fact that they did manage to create something which has endured now you could go into the you know whether it has yeah, endured yeah. in their form or whatever but you know they they did manage to com- come together and compromise on a lot of things and create something that uh, sustained itself at least yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm struck by like a quote from Jefferson where he says something to Adams about the Constitution. He says it's. I I, I feared rightly that the any constitution of government for these American states would be as compromised as their Declaration of Independence was. And he's referencing the fact that they forced them to take out an anti-slavery position yeah. in the Declaration because they thought they wouldn't get the South. Yeah. Even though you, he he had enslaved people himself. Whereas <laughs> you know, so this mm-hmm. this is extraordinarily complex. And the constitutional thing. Look, yeah, the Constitution gets passed. It gets through. And then they amend it ten times immediately. Mm. The Bill of Rights is what they refer to. And what you were saying earlier, Mark, was that they were built, although they had literally just postponed the decision of abolishing slavery. Yeah, look, it's it's compromised. They knew they knew the economic weight in the South hung on slavery. Mm. Like it's not a it's not an exaggeration to say that when the American Civil War actually kicks off sixty years later. the value of enslaved people is worth more than all of the industry and all of the commerce in the states combined. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So they they had a bit of a. They have a bit of a to do about that. Yeah, they yeah, did, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Now, so um, they had to do all over it. We don't need to go into details. Uh, well, we, we don't have time to go into details. Rather, <laughs> um, Hamilton throws away his shot. Uh, supposedly. Probably. As as was the uh, gentlemanly thing to do at the time. You mm. don't actually shoot the other guy. Yeah, so there's a whole bit about it. We're going to give you some sources if you want to dig deeper into some of these situations. One of them being Founding Brothers that we've all read a bit of by Joseph J. Ellis. Um, yes, that's correct. So 
the first, the very, th- that's a series of stories about the founding fathers. The very first one is called The Duel, and it's all about how the buildup actually happened to the moment of The Duel and what everyone said about it afterwards, all these details that are really great. The I think the second chapter is like The Dinner, and it's about literally the room where it happened in the song The Room Where It Happened, where Jefferson... Uh, Madison and, and uh, Hamilton. Yeah. Yes, those those are the ones. They come together and basically come to a compromise of moving the capital to a certain place and assuming state stats. And it's all just it's great because it's like literally like here's your job done for you, Jacob. Just read the founding brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I found it excellent, and it's they're all like even just ter- page turning, you find another quote from Washington or by Hamilton. Or by any of them, and you're just like, wow! Like these guys, just the the scope of uh, their intelligence and the way they could look at things and um, distill it down into its essence in terms of, uh, you know, how 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 they were going to proceed onto the next level. Mm. I I just find it brilliant. Like that. It, it does you a know? good job of of referencing the uh, rivalry slash friendship between Jefferson and Adams as well, mm. which is a really really interesting point because they're very very close friends. But then they, by the politicking of the whole court intrigue, they end up as being the leaders of opposing parties, kind of by accident, because Adams yeah. is not really, he doesn't really want to do that. But the the real politic kind of gets in the way. And then they, they have the first contested election where the two parties start flinging mud at each other. And they really fall out pretty badly over it. What we're saying, if you want to keep friends, don't get into politics. Don't get into politics. Yeah. Years and years later, the two men, uh, after Adams' wife, Adams' wife is an extraordinary figure as well, Ab- Abigail Adams. Um, after she dies he writes a letter to Thomas Jefferson and this is after they're both well retired and they're both in their dotage and he writes a letter to him and Jefferson replies immediately and it becomes very warm and the exchange of letters back and forth are uh, I've actually read them all like they're really 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 extraordinary writing but it's they're kind of um, interesting and foundational things for the, for the American uh, culture but they, uh, they they write back and forth for the rest of their lives up to the point where Adam's son, uh, John Quincy Adams, becomes president, and Jefferson, despite again being a different party, maybe congratulates him and all this kind of stuff. Then they die on the same day, which is pretty interesting. And it's the Fourth of July that they die on, both yes, of them. Yeah, which is pretty it's like interesting. It's written in the stars. Yeah, right? and uh, Jefferson's last words are supposed to be, "Is it the Fourth? And Adams' last words are, "Jefferson lives," which is pretty interesting. Like you know, <laughs> back and forth. Interesting, yes. So when we were going to do our research for this, you brought us uh, a whole pile of books from the library, which I, is your bookshelf, I assume. Yes, um, yeah, my library. Are there private a- library. <laughs> <laughs> Anything beyond Founding Brothers? And I also mentioned For Liberty and Glory, I think, was one I, I which is interesting about Lafayette. Like I mentioned, they were not... Uh, Washington and Lafayette weren't they didn't get along at first and then it explores the transition of how they became extremely close really good mates uh, yeah so any other things you want to recommend for this uh, David McCullough's uh, it's kind of a seminal book 1776 it's just about the year 70, 1776 but it gives you a good insight into the, the state of the uh, Continental Army and its leaders Nathaniel Green and, and so on um, I would also say McCullough's uh, biography of John Adams it's a really, really good read. It gives a very, very in-depth description of a very complex man, which Adams was. Um, what else? Ron Chernow's Hamilton. Um, of course, which is basically uh, the inspiration for the whole musical. Yeah. And he was the historical consultant on indeed, the show as well. Indeed he was. Um, and then I'd actually say, I'm going to recommend a TV show. Mm. Um, the HBO miniseries John Adams, which is based on McCullough's book. Um, where Paul Giamatti plays him, and a favorite actor of the uh, of the show, uh, 
um, whose name I'm blanking on now, Delan. Um, Stephen. Stephen Delan yeah, plays, yeah, Steve, plays, uh, yeah. plays Thomas Jefferson. Um, well worth a look as well. It's very, very good. I, eight, I, eight episodes, very good. I th- I actually looked for that the other day because I said because you sent me a clip of it and I said where can I find it? So I'll I keep looking anyway. You send me a link. I'll br- I'll br- yeah, I have it on a thing. I'll bring it. And wait, who's uh, who's Hamilton in that one? It's oh uh, Rufus Sewell. Yeah, he's only in two or three scenes, but he gets absolutely roasted by Adams <laughs> in a couple of them. It's yeah, you know, he's like, now either I have lost my mind or you have. Good day, sir. Like, get out. You know, it's good stuff. So uh, we're running very long in this one. So lightning round of some things that are definitely uh, aren't actually accurate. I have the cat thing, not true. Uh, Martha Washington named. Uh, her feral tomcat after Hamilton. Now, this was uh, probably something like that was in circulation, but brought up by uh, sort of British propaganda, as yeah, far as I understand. Yeah, very much. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but but like it's a mo. It has to be mentioned because uh, Lin Manuel Miranda turns to the audience, and goes, "That's true," yeah. <laughs> and he's aware that it's not as he's saying that. But yeah. again, it's too good to pass up. Did you have anything, Michael? Uh, just on it's a real personal one uh, in terms of Hamilton's life. He obviously there is in the play or in the musical. There's a big kind of love triangle between him and the Schuyler sisters, Angelica so, and, uh, and, and Eliza. Schuyler, yeah, uh, it. A lot is made of the fact that does he really love the sister of his wife, so his sister-in-law, Angelina, above his own wife mm. and... Angelica. You know, Angelica, excuse me. Um, so that didn't... Like, there's no evidence that they had no. a romantic affair. They no. were very fond of each other. Uh, there is evidence She, she was he, a well-known uh, letter writer. She had a correspondence mm. with Thomas Jefferson, too, Angelica Schuyler. Like, she was, she was a formidable, formidable, formidable woman. Age, but was married by the time she even met... Uh, Alexander Hamilton. This is it. So they're only small little things. Like he Englishman did, he scandal. did have an affair with a Mariah Reynolds. Mariah Reynolds, yeah. he did do that. Um, you know, From we can get into fame. that. You're gonna have to read. You're gonna have to listen to the to the to the musical itself if you want to find out how that went. Um, but yeah, no. In terms of the inaccuracies, really small little things. Uh, but overall, like. I know it's something I'm going to be listening to for a long, long time. Yeah, and Philip Schuyler as well, to add on to that exact point, had 15 children, I think. Yeah, he did. Uh, some of which were Prolific. sons. Prolific. So, so <laughs> yeah. Angelica uh, is saying in her big romantic thing about how she's the oldest and has to marry for money. She, one, she's already married, and two, there are sons, so you don't need to do anything about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. One, one uh, uh, historical little tidbit I do, I do want to just, uh, just, just point out. Um, Burr surviving uh, Hamilton for a long, long time, and he would refer to Hamilton as my friend Alexander Hamilton, whom I shot. Uh, <laughs> Burr, I would encourage you to read up about. He, he's just, even just a Wikipedia. Like you, you'll find some of it difficult to believe. Some of the kind of things he got up to. Yeah. But towards the end of his career, towards the end of his life, he was married again. And he, he married an heiress, you know, for her money. Um, and they fell out, and they had a divorce, and. He didn't do well out of this divorce because of his notoriety, or not least because of his notoriety, uh, and he he was kind of left reasonably bankrupt. And her uh, her lawyer was uh, the son of Alexander Hamilton, which is so kind of the, the final dig, you poetic know, justice <laughs> there if ever I saw it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. Please return, and we will discuss more historical films and television shows. And if there's a blockbuster musical, and we'll get into that as well. Let us know your thoughts in uh, a, a review on Apple Podcasts would be yes, great. A review would be nice. Uh, Spotify, Spotify as well. We're on Spotify. You can follow us on there, and your podcasting app of choice. Uh, feel free to email us at shows what you 
show at gmail.com if we don't appear on your podcatcher of choice. But that's it for now. Thanks for sticking it out. I don't have a rap for the end, so here's the theme song.